Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. The more time you spend getting to know Jesus from his word, you get to know him better. And the more time you spend with him, fellowshipping with him, serving him, the more he's going to turn your world upside down. Uh, you're going to discover more and more that, wait a minute, the way I thought things were aren't the way things really are. What I thought was the solution really isn't the solution. What I felt like needed to happen wasn't really the best thing to happen because Jesus turning your world upside down. And in the past three weeks, we've seen that. Uh, you remember his disciples when they were bringing children to him? I mean, it was a busy day. He was going places and they, they brought their children to him because they wanted him to pray over them and bless them. And the disciples were rebuking them saying, no, no, we don't have, have time for this. We got more important things to do. And Jesus says, wait a minute, let them come. And to Jesus, he had a different set of values going on, didn't he, right? And he sat down with those children and prayed over them and blessed them and said, hey, you guys need to learn something from children about childlike faith and, and following me. And, and then he had a rich young man come to him and, you know, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And, of course, there's nothing you can do to have eternal life other than to accept what God has done for you in Jesus. But he starts off there and uh, Jesus talks to him trying to get him to see his need. But really when push came to shove, what Jesus challenged him about is, you know what, there's something in your life that's more important than a relationship with me. And a relationship with me is what you need to have eternal life and a life that's meaningful and purposeful now. But there's something in your life that's keeping you from that. And what it is, is your money, your possessions. So, so what you're going to have to do, because you, you can't seem to make this choice, you've got to sell them all, get rid of them, and then you come and have that relationship with me. Now understand that his selling of his possessions and walking away from them was not about earning anything from God. It was about getting free of something that was keeping him from turning to the Lord. So he's turning, and it says he went away sorrowful, so he's turning the, the, his world upside down. And, and then he says to the disciples, you know, it's almost impossible for a, a rich man to get saved. It's, a bit, it's easier to put a camel through the eye of a sewing needle than it is for a rich man to get saved on his own. He can't. And that's what they said, whoa, mind's getting blown because you remember at that time in the culture, they believed that if someone was wealthy, it's because God was showing his favor on them. They obviously were in a right relationship with God because God is giving them money and making them rich. And Jesus just said, oh, no, no, it's hard for a rich man, you know. And so the disciples are thinking, man, if that's true, if they aren't even going to make it, how in the world are we going to make it? Those of us who aren't rich and don't have God's blessing in our lives. And, and of course, the point was not that. They didn't see that. And Jesus says, well, with man it is impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. God is able to overcome those things in our lives if we'll just yield to him and go along with him. And then Peter asks a question. Peter says, okay, Lord, we have left all. And followed you. So what's, what's it going to be for us? And Jesus says, well, listen, God's going to reward you. He's, he's got responsibility in heaven and bless you in many, many ways. And in this life, he's giving you all sorts of other Christians to, to, to be in your life and to be a blessing to you. 
And then he says this, that many who are first shall be last and the last shall be first. And I think that puzzled <laughs> the disciples. Once again, Jesus is pressing them. He's, he's by the way, he's, he's taking them through situations. He's having conversations with them that are unsettling for them. It's unsettling, right? He's, he's turned their life upside down, slowly but surely, revealing where they are at and helping them to see where God is at and how what they really need is to connect with him. And so we saw this and put this together a few weeks ago and there's this statement here, you know, that your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your life. Always, everywhere, no matter what. And so, by the way, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that lack of a relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your life and it's gonna govern everything. But so this idea of a relationship with Jesus, and this is what Jesus keeps trying to get them to see. It's about your relationship with me. It's not about all these other things. You know, if you get your relationship right with me, Jesus would say, then everything else in your life can find its rightful place. But if your relationship with me is not the most important thing in your life, nothing in your life can ever be in its rightful place because he's not first. So this is really a crucial thing. And I know I've said it, this is like the third week in a row. <laughs> we could probably say it every day, couldn't we? And remember this. And so, so he's, this is what we're seeing about a relationship. And then he says this, the last will be first, the first will be last. And so what are you talking about? And we said, if nothing else, Jesus is telling us that uh, he's gonna do things that are totally unexpected to us, that aren't our ways, but are his. And then what he does is he starts in on a story, a parable, to teach them about this. What does this mean? The first shall be last and the last shall be first. And he's going to give some big concepts for them to grab in it. And just real quick, a parable is a story that Jesus says, in other words, here's real life and here's how things are going. And then Jesus tells this story and puts it alongside it to help us understand some things. Everything in the parable is not symbolic of something, but there's always a main concept and some key ideas there that are parallel and that he intends for us to get. So let's take our Bibles and go to the Gospel of Matthew again. Matthew chapter 20. Page, I think it starts on page 1135 in the Bible that's under the chairs there. And as always, we encourage you to uh, follow along. I think it's helpful to you, makes it more profitable for you. So Matthew chapter 20, end of, end of chapter 19, actually you see the verse, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So let's read through and we'll just kind of make sure we understand what he's saying along the way or the parable itself. For the kingdom of heaven, and by kingdom of heaven, he doesn't mean talking about being in heaven, although it, it, it is in heaven, but it's, it's the idea, it's, it's when God is ruling. When things are going the way the Lord intends for it to go. That's just from the kingdom of heaven. That's what it's like, okay? So for the kingdom of heaven is like this. A landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, a denarius was uh, one, uh, the average wage for a day laborer, okay? So they worked for the full day. And here in Massachusetts, that's probably 100, and if, if 12 hour day was we're gonna see, that's $180, $200, something like that, a 
Okay, so he reached an agreement with them. Apparently they wanted to make sure, they wanted to negotiate a deal and make sure they got what was right. And so they reached that agreement with them. Um, number three, verse three. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So the Jewish people uh, counted the hour of their day from about six in the morning, roughly sunrise. And uh, that was the first hour. Nine, the third hour would be nine o'clock, okay. Sixth hour would be 12. The ninth hour would be three. And we're gonna see the 11th hour here in a minute. All right, so he goes out back out about nine in the morning and sees others standing there. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard. And this is such an important statement here. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. So they didn't negotiate a deal with him. They go out into the vineyard with his expression to them, I will do what is right by you when it comes to paying you. And he went again, verse five, and again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the 11th hour, so we're at five o'clock at night and they're all gonna work till about six o'clock because it kind of gets, starts to get dark over there. So they're gonna quit at six. But about uh, the 11th hour, five o'clock, he went out and found others standing out and said, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. So the last ones we hired and sent out, pay them first and then we'll you know, pay them all the way down to those who went out at six in the morning today. Verse nine, and when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. What, so how much did they receive? A whole day's wages they received. You know, they got their 200 bucks. What if you were the first group and you're watching this and you saw this? What would you think? Well, let's see here. Verse 10. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. So let's stop right there. I mean, that would kind of make sense to you, wouldn't it? Wow, they worked one hour and they got that. Surely he'll pay us more. Uh, but when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more and they likewise received each a denarius. They received their day's wages. Nothing extra. In verse 11, we could have, we could have predicted this. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day, right? This does not seem right to us. This does not seem, what word would we probably use? Fair, fair. this doesn't seem fair to us. Verse 13, but he answered one of them and said, friend. So he calls him friend. He's not being hostile toward them here. Where am I? Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? In other words, what? I paid you what we agreed on. Is that wrong? Then he says, take what is yours and go your way. 
I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? And so what he's saying, you know, how is it? You're, you're seeing things wrong. You're seeing me as, as bad, but I'm doing good. Was it a good thing that the, the owner, let's say there were no other people. He had hired no other people. And at the end of the day, he had paid these guys what he had agreed upon. Would they think he was doing good? The owner's doing good. He's, he's doing what's right. Yes, we got our pay. We earned it. But because he blesses somebody, they now all of a sudden feel like, hey, he's not good. He's doing evil. Because somehow, rather, we think that we deserve more. Doesn't seem fair. And by the way, from a purely human standpoint, you might think that, right? Uh, but the idea is they had reached an agreement with him. They made a deal with him. And the others did not. Okay? And so Jesus now says, so the last will be first and the first last. So he's giving an illustration. And, and in this story, the, the landowner represents God in the lessons he wants us to know. And the, the laborers represent those of us who are served. We know the Lord. We're serving him. Okay. And um, we see here very clear lessons that our, that our ways of looking at things, we've, how many times have we said this, don't match the way God looks at things and views things? And so this idea of the first should be last. We expect that the first, the best, the, uh, the strongest, the most worthy or deserved, all the kinds of, we think the first should get, be first, right? We think that the last, they haven't earned it, they aren't whatever, they should be last. And so Jesus is turning their world upside down, that no, with God it isn't that way. He doesn't have the same values as you do. He doesn't have the same motivations as you do. And by the way, his values are greater than yours. His motivations are greater than yours. And so we see here that the, the first to go to work get paid last. And the ones you would expect to get paid last got paid first. I mean, they, they made the most, right? And those who thought that they should have the most had the least. I mean, they, they by an hourly rate, they came in way behind, right? So Jesus is, is turning this world upside down and he's trying to tell us that, that God does not do things the way we necessarily think we, he should. You know, we have this idea of fairness and this fairness, fairness is a legitimate concept, okay? The idea of making sure that things are, are fair. Like we're gonna play a game, we make sure it's fair, right? That there's a, an aspect of fairness, we get that. But the reality is here, and we see it in these, these workers who went out first thing in the morning, this idea of fairness often gets twisted by what's in our hearts, right? Twisted by how we, with our imperfect vision, see things. And so this is really, we see in this parable, really two big things. One is that it reveals to us the nature and character of God, because this landlord did, did what was right, didn't he? He also did what was good, okay? So, that's about God. And then we see us that we could be like these laborers and reveal what's going on in our hearts. That somehow rather we are comparing ourselves to other people and what we deserve based on what we think they deserve and fairness gets all twisted up. Okay. 
And so fairness really isn't the standard. And by the way, so you know, I also believe that Jesus is telling this parable not just to illustrate the last will be first, first will be last, but also as kind of a very cautionary warning to Peter and the disciples. Because what did Peter ask? What's in it for us? What are we going to get? Okay, that's not necessarily a wrong question, but when our hearts are not in the right place, that takes us to the wrong place in our lives. All right, so let's, let's work through two aspects. So we're gonna spend a little bit of time here looking at things that are true, which issues which this parable raises for us, and then we'll talk about, so what do we do in our lives? How do we apply this in our lives? And the first thing is this, and you're not gonna like this. God is not fair. And that's a good thing. God is not fair. And that's a good thing because I'm saying when we think of fair, what do we think what's in it for me? Am I getting what I deserve? And God isn't, he, he just doesn't go with that. We says landowner, did, I'm not gonna be moved by that, right? No, he doesn't do that. And that is a good thing. Because I want to tell you what fair is, okay? Fair would be that Jesus should never have come down to earth. The Son of God should have never come into this sin-cursed earth. He didn't deserve that. That wasn't fair. He came here for us. Not fair. We don't deserve it. What would be fair for us is that we die and pay the penalty for our own sins. That would be fair, wouldn't it? That would be fair. Aren't you glad God's not about what's fair? He's not about what we deserve. And, and uh, David Platt, who's a pretty well-known preacher in our generation, says this. He says, God doesn't owe us salvation for something we've done. He gives us salvation despite everything we have done. And fairness would not lead to that, okay? So God is not fair and that's a good thing. But even more than that, here we are, we've, we've received Christ as Savior, right? We have, we've trusted Him as Savior. He's forgiven our sins, He's given us eternal life. He's, he's working in our lives. And do you remember what Jesus said when He was talking to the disciples and using the vineyard and the vine as, as lessons? He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You know, like you get your life from me and your ability to bear fruit from me. And He says, for without me, you can do nothing. nothing. All right, that means that everything that you and I do to serve the Lord, and, and we're trying to be faithful, we're doing the best we know how, we're relying on God, and we're, we're doing those things to serve Him, who has enabled us to do it? Are you guys getting me with that, right? He's the one, he's the one who gives us the opportunity, he's the one that gives us the ability, he's the one who gives us the insight, he's the one who stirs up the perseverance, he's, he's the one that does all of that. And who gets the reward? Who gets the reward? Yeah, you guys are a little puzzled. We get rewarded for it, don't we? That's, we get, well, that's not fair. He's the one who's really enabling us, and we get the reward. Not fair. God is not fair, and that's a good thing. And I really want to challenge you today to try to not evaluate what God is doing on whether or not it seems fair to you here. Like I said, fairness is a legitimate concept in the things that we have to do in this life with other people and trying to work at, make sure things are fair. But I want you to divorce that from your understanding of what it means to live for the Lord and with the Lord and serve the Lord. 
Okay, don't be evaluated. It isn't fair that I have to go through this when others don't. Okay, just let it go. Jesus is turning your world upside down. And it's a good thing, okay? And so we start to see this idea of the grace of God and how he works with us. And let's, let's, let's get some more insight into grace. The grace of God has nothing to do with what we deserve and everything to do with what he desires. What did the landlord say with respect to, he says, I want to give these people last this much money. I want to pay them this much. Why did he do that? Because of what they deserved? How, they only worked one hour. Did they deserve that? Had they earned that? No, but he what? He desired to do it. And that's what grace is about. And this is so good to know because when, when we talk about we are saved by grace, we think, okay, yeah, yeah, I get we don't deserve it. But I want you to know it isn't like that. Grace has nothing to do with whether you deserve it or not. Nothing. Grace is all about God and his benevolence and his goodness and what he desires to do. And so all through our lives, you think about this, you know, because we get saved, here we go, we get saved and we reach this point, we realize I can't do anything to save myself. My works, you know, they aren't gonna make me right with God, they can't fix what's in the past, all that kind of stuff. And so I give up on that and I receive Jesus as my savior just you know, by his grace and through faith, I, I do that, okay? We get saved, it's wonderful. We start walking through life and it isn't very long before we start thinking, well, if I do this, if I get this right, then God will. And there is some truth, God makes promises. He's made promises, things he will do in response to us. But we get into this, Somehow, rather, we earn from God. And when things go bad or when we mess up and then, you know, oh, no, I, now I don't deserve God's going to, you know, abandon me or he's going to bring problems into my life and all this kind of stuff. I can't talk to him because I've just been in the wrong place. God's relationship with you is not about what you deserve. It's about what he wants, what he desires. And, and, and so you can't come and say, oh, God, I, I you know, he says, stop it. Here, let me work in your life. Just, come on, cooperate. Let's get over it. Let me work in your life. All right. So, this brings us the idea of our salvation. So, we are saved then not because of who we are or what we're like or what we've done. We've got that. But because of who Jesus is, what he's like and what he's done. And then whether or not we have that relationship with him, which he keeps telling people, you need a relationship with me. You need to come with me. You need to follow me. You need a relationship with me. That's how we receive the eternal life. But it has nothing to do with what we've done or earned. And then as Christians, I already said this, but as Christians, the same thing. We will succeed not because of who we are, what we're like or what we've done, but because of who Jesus is what he's like and what he's done. Now this doesn't mean we don't have a role to play, we do. Come use your abilities for me, the Lord says. Come use them and I'll empower them. I'll take them and accomplish spiritual things through them, big eternal things. So we have our role to play, but we can't think it's about me. You know, Glenn and I have been talking about this with this whole thing and, and trying to come up with how to to talk about it and really the reality is we have to come to a place when we realize, you know what, 
This, it isn't about me. It is about my relationship with the Lord. And when I say it's not about me, that doesn't mean I'm not important. That does not mean I have no value. It doesn't mean any of that. How, how valuable am I? I? And I'm glad I don't have to, to get it from you. I like it when you guys make me feel valuable. But I don't have to get it from you because the one who knows me best values me the most. That's the Lord. He values me. And, but I gotta, if I start thinking, oh yeah, I am the one. Oh, it is about me. I'll start making decisions, interpreting things wrong, all that kind of stuff. So we got to let that go. No, it's about following Jesus. It's about knowing him and knowing him better and learning what it means to walk through life with him and stepping out in faith and serving him and on and on it goes. And so that's kind of the big lessons here. So here's what we want to do then. Okay, so these truths about God and what he's like and us. Let go of your natural human expectations and simply trust God who will always do what is right. This is what I was saying earlier. I want you to let go of fairness when and you think about how God works in your life and comparing yourself to others. You want to let go of that. Um, what were the expectations of those people who went to work at six in the morning? Well, their expectation all day was that they would get paid their wages. What was their expectation after they saw the last people get paid a full day's wages? Their expectations changed. And I don't know that I can really fault them for that. I can see that I might think, wow, surely when we get up there, we'll get more. But their natural human expectations did not serve them well. And their natural human expectations led them to conclusions that weren't right. And so we want to let go of our natural human expectations and simply trust God who will always do what's right. I just need to, to do what he wants me to do. So let's replace those expectations with some biblical expectations, okay? So here's some biblical expectations. First one, I'm trusting Jesus to do whatever's right. That's a fairly simple thing to say. And it's a fairly simple thing to convince ourselves that we, yeah, we, we believe that. But man, is it a step of faith to really believe it and trust it. But this is, do you see how following Jesus is so different than living any other way? It's just so different. And that's what I want you to capture today. It is so different and it's good. So I'm trusting Jesus to do whatever's right. So uh, he gives and takes away. We sang that, right? When, when things are going awesome and great, I will attribute it to him because he does whatever's right. When things go, get hard and difficult and I don't understand, I will trust him because he always does what's right. He's always at work in our lives when the things are easy and when the things are hard. And sometimes the biggest and most valuable lessons we learn are when things are really hard. The Apostle Paul talked about that. In, in 2 Corinthians, the beginning of that letter, he says, man, you ought to know where we were. We were just destroyed. He said, we were crushed. We were hammered down. We, we were just at the point of giving up. And he says, God used this to teach us that he's still God. He has power to raise the dead. He can do anything that needs to be done. 
So he's right, he's good, and he's able to do something about it. Okay? So I'm trusting Jesus to do whatever is right. Secondly, Jesus knows better than me. There's a good one to let soak in. Jesus knows better than me. He sees more clearly than I do. He understands what I don't. And so his, quote, whatever is right, remember that's what he said to them, whatever is right, I'll do. His whatever is right will always be better than any other expectations I might have. And I realized today, man, I'm just throwing a lot of info at you, a lot of truths. But ask the Lord just to show you, hey, which one do I need to grab onto today, okay? So he knows better. So when things aren't going the way I think they ought to go, when things aren't making sense to me, he knows and they do make sense to him. And he will do what? He will do what? Whatever is right. And that's good. That's a good thing. And the third biblical expectation is kind of built on the other two is this. I'm living my life for him. That's my plan. I'm living my life for him. Whether easy or hard, I'm living my life for him. Whether my burden is light or heavy, I'm living my life for him. And I know with great confidence that his whatever is right is the absolute best for me. Best now and in eternity. If, if, if you can let this sink into your heart and begin pursuing it and growing it, it'll change your life in ways you will be glad about both now and in eternity. All right. So another thing we see, these, and we aren't given a lot of details here, but I get the sense that these first workers in the morning they negotiated, make sure, and we want to get this in writing, right? Or whatever it is, that you're going to pay us a day's wages. We're going to work all day for you and you're going to pay us this much, right? They made a deal with him. Let me encourage you, when it comes to your relationship with God, don't try to make deals with him. <laughs> don't try to make deals with God or assume somehow that he is bound by what you consider to be fair. You're only setting yourself up for disappointment. Major disappointment because guess what? The first is going to be last and the last will be first, which means what you thought was true, we're going to find out isn't, and what you thought was not true, you're going to find out it is. How about we just start with the Lord that way? Much better. Okay, so don't try to make deals with God or assume He is bound by what you consider to be fair. Instead, do this. Instead, serve Him wholeheartedly and simply trust Him to do whatever is right. Man, there's plenty of places in my life where if I had remembered this, things could have turned around a lot quicker. You know, because when I find myself stewing about this doesn't seem fair, this isn't right, why do I have to deal with this? This doesn't, you know, people aren't treating me right or, or maybe I reached the other point, I don't, God, I don't even deserve anything because of how I am right now and all that kind of stuff and just get over it and say, no, no, Lord, what am I supposed to do right now? And I trust you to take care of whatever the outcome is. So, let's talk about contracts, negotiations and contracts. And this idea of not making deals with God. Professional athletes negotiate their contracts. And I actually looked up, let's see if I could find one. I found a, a professional football player's contract, and this is from 10, 11 years ago. And it was 14 pages long. Talk about the small print, right? 
And so I think their contracts, probably the more famous and the more valuable we are to the team, the, the more the contract gets, uh, more complex it gets, 10 to 20 pages, many, many provisions. And then if you want to, go to um, and, and read, I looked up, I forget, collective bargaining agreement between the NFL owners and the players union. 456 pages long. 16, there's a title page and there's 16 pages of table of contents and 440 pages of provisions. Okay? Well, you know, as Christians, if we were signing a contract with God, it ought to be very simple. And, and here's the only provision. I will serve the Lord wholeheartedly and faithfully, knowing that he will always do whatever is right. You get it? This is, and we don't have a contract, we don't sign a contract, but if we had to do a contract, this would be it, the end. So Charles Stanley has a quote that he's very famous for, and it's this, that obey God and leave all of the consequences to him. And consequences can sort of sound negative, but it doesn't have to be. He's talking about leave all the results. Everything that flows out of this decision to obey God, leave that to God. He's going to do whatever's right. Don't worry about is it fair, is it not fair, because that's when you're thinking about you instead of about him. And, and let me just say, we're important. God has said so, and we have struggles, that's fine, but we need to look to him for those solutions and to his people and to his word, all that, but not to be concerned about fairness. All right, uh, a man named Daniel Colston says this. He says, the goal is to trust God while attempting to do his will, doing his will the best we, we know how. Then he will work in you in ways you never could have imagined. So I'm painting this picture of give everything up it may still be in your possession, but give it up to the Lord. Lord, what do you want to do with this? What do you want me to do with this? Your life, your decisions, your relationships. Say, here they are, Lord. They're yours. And I'm telling you, just let it go and then do what he says to do in his word. Live the best you know how according to his will. Do all that. And it can sound like, okay, all right, all right, all right. No. It's at that point when you put yourself in that place that God says, all right, let's go to work. I, I want you to see what I can do here. And he works in our lives in, in ways that we can't explain naturally, in ways that are a testament to his glory, a, a witness for him. And so it's really important that we get these concepts and then surrender ourselves to him in these concepts. So just a quick review. Let go of your natural human expectations, right? Trust God. Don't try to make deals with God or try to judge him on the basis of what you think is fair. Instead, just serve him wholeheartedly. Simply trust him to do whatever is right. Because it really, what Jesus has been telling us through all of these things so far is this, that your relationship with him, your relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in your life. Always, everywhere, no matter what. Can we personalize that today? Would you personalize that today? Let's look at this. And would you read it out loud with me now? It's about my, let's try it again, ready? My relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in my whole life. Always, everywhere, no matter what. And let's end with this today. Let's turn it into a prayer. And you can pray with your eyes open here, okay? Go ahead and put that up, Dave.
Go ahead. Yeah, there we go. So let's pray this to the Lord. This will be our closing prayer here. I hope you can really engage it with your heart. Nope, back one. Thank you, Dave. There we go. Here we go. Jesus, my relationship with you is the most important thing in my whole life. Always, everywhere, no matter what. Amen. And then we got to keep working on it. But that's where we need to be. Thank you, Father, that you, you know what's best for us and you call us to it. Help us to believe and so that we can take those steps of faith and trust you and then experience what you will do in our lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I not have sent them in, but I can't help but believe that this passage of Scripture, what Jesus is telling us, um, has to create questions. It does for me. It still does for me. There's still questions I have related to it. All right. So let's look here. Ah, yeah. Gee, we have a question and an answer here. Just let me read it to you. I'll share it with you. So God does what he wants. Right? That's what he said. His desire. So he wants me to hurt. He wants me to have difficulties, all that kind of stuff. Is that what he wants? And this person says, yes, sort of. But only because he's jealous for us. He wants us to love him and it's beautiful when we do. So lean into him and he will be so real and blow your mind with his spirit. I like that. Blow your mind. That's from my generation. Blow your mind. Um, yes, God loves us enough to allow us to suffer so that we can get to a better place. You know, if you have children and however you choose to discipline them, uh, but the idea is if you don't discipline them for wrongdoing, how, like I said, whether you use timeout or rewards or a spanking or whatever you do, you do that because you love your child. You bring uh, um, unpleasantness into their life, don't you? So that they will learn and grow. And so Jesus, God allows those things in our lives. There's, it happens naturally in the world and sometimes he might even bring us into some of that because he does love us. He loves us too much to leave us where we're not having the life that he knows we could have. Okay, so that's big. Good question. All right, let's see. One, oh, another one too. Anyway. All right, so what does, oh, thank you for asking that question. I appreciate that. What does many are called but fewer chosen mean? You notice I ignored that, right? You see that at the end, verse 16? So the last will be first and the first last. And also I start talking. And it says, for many are called but few chosen. And I actually had this in my notes, forgot to say it to you. Uh, we're going to deal with that on Sunday, August the 13th. Because it shows up in another parable. And we're going to be going through the other parables of Matthew this summer. And uh, it shows up on that day. And I think it's much easier to understand in the context of that other parable. Okay, so rather than me trying to go over here, we're getting to it. Okay. Do people of certain doctrinal stances apply this passage to who can be saved? And I would say that's probably true. You know, I can't, there's all sorts of doctrinal passages. By the way, people do really strange things with parables, right? Because sometimes people get in the parable and they, every little thing in the parable, they try to equate it to some big spiritual truth. And that's just not the way they work. Jesus always has some big, big spiritual truth that he's trying to communicate through the parable. 
And he tells stories to do that. But a lot of the story part is not the spiritual application. It's, it's the things that are clear. And the things that are clear here is the relationship between the landowner and the workers, right? And what their expectations were and what his character was. Okay? And we revealed that. So, um, and I actually cut a section of my sermon this long on my page out where I was talking about um, that the only way we have a relationship with God is on his terms. Amen. We don't get to negotiate the terms of our salvation or anything else, right? His working in our lives is always on his terms. And guess what? His terms are always the best. Even when we don't see it that way at the moment, they always are. So hopefully this stirs you up some. And hopefully it really stirs you up to say, man, I, am, am I living this way? Because this does not come natural to us. We're saved. He's changed our deep nature and what we are. Yes, so it's, it's, it makes sense there. But everything that's happened in our life, it isn't always natural to us. And so that's why we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds that we might know what it is God wants us to do and how he wants us to live. Okay? All right, and I'll be glad to talk to you about any of this. Uh, and you can probably ask me questions I won't be able to answer. That isn't true. You know, I learned a long time ago, I can answer every question. I can answer every question that you have. You can go tell people, my pastor can answer any question that people ask him. Because I learned a long time ago that I can say, you know, I don't know. That's my answer to your question. All right, God bless you. Go walk out of here and fellowship with Jesus and go out and live your life with him, okay? God bless you.